big tech internet, the dystopian, quote, ministry of information. That is a topic we'll discuss today right here on the Christian Worldview radio program, where the mission is to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ that sinners can be reconciled and forgiven to God through believing in the person and the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. I'm David Wheaton, the host of the Christian Worldview. We are a nonprofit, listener-supported radio ministry, and our website is thechristianworldview.org. Topic again today is Big Tech Internet, the dystopian ministry of information. You know, Romans 6, verse 16 says, Do you not know, Paul writes, that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey— You are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. In other words, Paul is saying that whatever we obey in life, repetitively, we become the the slave of that. And uh, if it's sin, it it leads to death, and of obedience to God, that leads to eternal life. So I want to start out today by just a one-sentence Um, truism uh, that has become apparent in life, especially with the, the expansion, the huge expansion of information over the Internet. It's the one who controls the information is the one who is in control. The one who controls the information is the one who is in control. And that has become axiomatic, just obvious in our in our new age of big tech Internet companies like Facebook, Google, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and others are not only some of the the largest companies in history, but they're also the most influential. And they influence what people think about and what they should think about. What's more, these companies know how to keep you connected to their platforms through notifying you of content that they know because of your browsing history that will engage you and keep you connected. They, they know you through your online behavior, and, and the more time you spend with them, so to speak, the more opportunity they have to make money through advertising to you and to influence you to their worldview. And if you don't, by the way, comply, so to speak, with their standards on their platform, if you write something, post something, that's against their worldview, their standards, well, they can just turn you off, turn your page off on whatever platform it is. Now, Netflix produced a documentary this year on the immense power of big tech called The Social Dilemma, where they interviewed all kinds of executives from these big tech companies and experts in the tech industry. And it sort of pulled back the curtain on just how influential and addictive their platforms are. And so this weekend on The Christian Worldview, we're going to examine big tech internet and how the future is and will be shaped by their, not Christian worldview, but by their humanistic worldview. And we'll also discuss how Christians can navigate navigate this, this realm of the internet that we're all involved in, whether we want to be or not. But to start, let's acknowledge that the Internet 
is not all bad. You know, you could we're going to say a lot of things today about play sound bites from that social dilemma docudrama and so forth. That's going to make it seem like the Internet is just terrible. Stay away. Don't have the Internet. Well, there is obviously some good elements. Let's acknowledge that, that these platforms were even talking about Facebook and Twitter and all these different um, social media companies on the Internet. They can be used for good purposes, and they are being used for good purposes, for, for gospel-proclaiming purposes. The, the Word of God and the gospel is literally going out across the Internet to places it has never gone before, reaching more people than it's ever, gone, than it's ever done before. I mean, there are sermons to watch online, church services now during the coronavirus pandemic that people are watching online. There's access to information about the Bible. Uh, you go to gotquestions.org, and they have 500,000 questions that curio- uh, people who are curious about or have questions about Scripture can go to find out answers to. There are radio programs like this all over the Internet. So, and even beyond those gospel-proclaiming purposes, there's an ability uh, with these social media platforms like Twitter or Facebook or other ones to connect with family who aren't living in the same area or to do business from home. Another another benefit, another good thing uh, that's taking place on the Internet right now. So I want to qualify some of the things we're going to say today uh, that's saying there are good elements to the Internet. But there's another reality as well that, that must be acknowledged. We can't just focus on, oh, it's good and the gospel is going out and it's just the rest of it just kind of turn the other, turn the other, uh, turn the eyes away from that. The Internet is also used for evil as well. I mean, we're not going to talk about the, the huge uh, business of pornography that just ruins people's lives. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry that takes place on the Internet. That's made it so much more readily available than having to go to buy a print uh, pornographic magazine as in the old days. Uh, there's also the element on the Internet of all the false philosophies and false religions that are, are leading people astray. So there's those things, but that's not exactly our topic today as well. Our topic really today is focusing on information and how big tech internet is the, the, the purveyor, the controller of all the information or all, almost all the information gets disseminated around the world. In other words, the one, again, the one who controls the information is the one who is in control. So how and why is that? Well, it's pretty simple that the voice that reaches the most people, in other words, if you have the biggest voice in the world, you control not only what the topic is that people should be thinking about. In other words, uh, you, you also control how that topic should be viewed. So, for example, we're talking about in the radio program today, big tech Internet, right? And so you listening are thinking about big tech internet and you weren't thinking about until I just bring it up like something like, let's say illegal immigration, because that's not what we chose to broadcast today. So this voice today is talking about big tech internet, which, which subtly, maybe not intentionally, I guess it does intentionally compel you to think about that topic and not about other topics. So it's a multiply that times a billion times bigger voice, big tech internet is way bigger voice than we do. And so the billions of people use using Google and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, they are compelled to think about the topics that those big tech companies kind of put out there. And then not only what the topic is, but how you should think about it. 
Now, of course, this doesn't capture everyone. You can think outside their box, of course, but it captures a, a majority of people who use these platforms around the world. And that's enough for them to hold power, to have lots of power in the world. So they control the topic because they're the ones that have the biggest voice. And then also they can control how that particular, any topic should be be viewed. So I, I mentioned this this docudrama called The Social Dilemma, and uh, Wikipedia has a page on it. But I'll just read a paragraph from there just to give you some background on what this docudrama is. It's called The Social Dilemma. It came out uh, this year, 2020. It explores the rise of social media and the damage it has caused to society. And it focuses on five things. Uh, number one, it's exploitation of its users for financial gain through surveillance capitalism and data mining. So we're going to get into each one of these points today and play some sound bites. Number two, the film focuses on how its design of big tech internet, how these platforms, social media, so forth, how their design is meant to nurture an addiction to them. Number three, how the, these platforms, Google and Facebook and so forth, are used in politics. Boy, isn't that relevant with this most recent election? Number four, uh, big tech Internet's effect on mental health, including the mental health of adolescents and rising teen suicide rates. And number five, big tech's role in spreading conspiracy theories. And uh, we'll get into that as well. And it goes on to describe it as the film features interviews with many former employees and executives of these big tech companies and other professionals from top tech companies and social media platforms who provide their firsthand experience. That's what makes the film powerful. I mean, these, these, they didn't just get kind of employees of Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and all these other companies. They have former executives on camera that you're going to hear today talking about just the nefarious element of how powerful these companies have become. Interviewees state that social media platforms and big tech companies have been instrumental in providing positive change for society. I mentioned some of those, but they didn't think from a Christian element. But anyway, they also note that such platforms have also caused problematic social, political, and cultural consequences. These interviews are presented alongside dramatizations of a teenager's social media addiction and a primer on how a social media algorithm powered by artificial intelligence may work. So in the film, there's sort of this thread that goes through with this teenager. They're, they're showing him kind of a, a, an example of how a teenager gets so addicted to all the platforms and, and how the big tech companies are literally controlling his life. In other words, the one who controls the information is the one who's in control. Now, those last two terms there, social media algorithm powered by artificial intelligence works now, just to clarify those terms, uh, they're, they're big words, but it's actually fairly simple. An algorithm defined as it's a process or set of rules to be followed in calculations or other problem-solving operations by a computer. And that works with, so algorithm is used by artificial intelligence. It's basically a computer is trained by humans, uh, given options, and it learns to make calculations. So artificial intelligence is the development of computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition, decision-making. 
Uh, so do you remember back in the day when IBM developed the computer Watson and they, they, they taught Watson how to play chess and Watson eventually played against the, the great you know, human uh, chess grandmaster in the world and eventually Watson won because Watson has, you know, over time, would, would learn every single possible uh, potential move in chess and could calculate that faster than even a human brain could excuse me, calculate that. And so in time, you know, the, the Watts and the computer through artificial intelligence and its algorithms, its calculations, is, is able to, to defeat a, a human brain in, in chess because the computing speed and possibilities are just done so fast by a computer. So that's really not surprising. So let's get to the first soundbite from the film, and this is about this is from a uh, a former Google design ethicist, and he was working for Google, and he began to see the problems with where things were going, and he made a presentation to Google, and here's where it went. And that was when I decided to make a presentation, kind of a call to arms. It, it basically just said, you know, never before in history have 50 designers, 20 to 35 year old white guys in California made decisions that would have an impact on 2 billion people. 2 billion people will have thoughts that they didn't intend to have because a designer at Google said, this is how notifications work on that screen that you wake up to in the morning. And we have a moral responsibility as Google for solving this problem. Okay, we'll take our first break of the day. You can probably see how this will be received at Google when one of their executives or employees says, hey, wait a second here, where is this all going? We'll come back and talk more about big tech internet after this. Who is George Soros and what does he believe? Are you religious? No. Do you believe in God? No. Soros told the independent newspaper in Great Britain it is a sort of disease when you consider yourself some kind of God, the creator of everything. But I feel comfortable about it now since I began to live it out. Soros spends his billions to transform America into godless socialism. Be informed about him and the organizations he funds by ordering this George Soros resource bundle, which includes a 60-minute DVD, 60-page book, and 16-page follow-the-money chart and guide for a donation of $50 or more to the Christian worldview. To order, call one 646 2233 or write to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331, or visit thechristianworldview.org. That's thechristianworldview.org. The Bible says that children should be raised in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's nothing more important than sitting, walking, talking, and teaching your son or daughter to love and fear God. The church is swimming in children's resources, but it's ultra important to select ones that accurately represent God, His Word, and the Gospel. At our store on thechristianworldview.org, we are intentional about offering resources that will build a sound and strong faith in children. You will find several Bibles for children, the Adam Raccoon book series, and Good News for Little Hearts series. We also have video and audio resources like Theo and Sugar Creek Gang. Browse them all at thechristianworldview.org and then use them daily with the child God has put in your life. 
That's thechristianworldview.org. Back on the Christian Realview radio program, we strive to think biblically and live accordingly with every topic we cover every weekend. If you miss programs, you can go to thechristianworldview.org, get caught up, or subscribe to the free podcast. Just go to your podcast app on your smartphone to do that, or if you need to know more about that, go to thechristianworldview.org and click on the page, How to Listen, to the program where it has a list of all our stations and streaming sites and podcasts and so forth. We're talking about big tech internet today, the dystopian ministry of information and how this is going straight toward use by eventually in the future in the end times by the Antichrist. That, that is, I'd be shocked if, if big tech internet is not the way that the Antichrist will be able to control uh, this global empire that he has. Because again, one who has the information one who controls the information is the one who is in control. And I was playing a soundbite from this documentary on uh, called The Social Dilemma. And they, they go through the how these big tech companies – and by the way, it's not just social media. You need to make a little distinction there. Social media is more like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, Pinterest where people are sharing with each other. There's also the big elephant in the room, which is Google which I think Google owns YouTube. That's also a, a social media site. Um, but Google is not quite social media in and of, of itself. It's a search engine, um, but they gather so much information, and the information they bring up when you search is what Google wants to bring up for you. So that's not quite social media. So it's a little bit beyond social media, although social media is the core of of how these big tech companies gain so much control. And I was reading this or I was playing the soundbite before the break there by this former uh, design ethicist from uh, Google named Tristan Harris. And so he was working for Google and he began to see that, wait a second here, he said 25 to 50 white guys. I'm not sure why the white guy is, is relevant. If it was a multicultural panel of 25 to 50 people in California, would that be any better? <laughs> that they were controlling what 2 billion users in the world, what kind of content they would see. Anyway, he started to be troubled about this. And he made a presentation to his own company saying, you know, we really need to think about this, that so few people are controlling the content, the information of so many people across the world. Here's the rest of that soundbite. You know, never before in history have 50 designers, 20 to 35 year old white guys in California made decisions that would have an impact on 2 billion people. 2 billion people will have thoughts that they didn't intend to have because a designer at Google said, this is how notifications work on that screen that you wake up to in the morning. Just a quick note, right? That's just what we were saying earlier, that they, they bring up a topic and they notify of it. And so it make, when it comes into your phone or computer, it makes you think about whatever topic they fed to you in that moment. And then there's also the next step is, well, then they're going to say how you should think about this particular topic. And we have a moral responsibility as Google for solving this problem. And I sent this presentation to about 15, 20 of my closest colleagues at Google. I was very nervous about it. I mean, I wasn't sure I was gonna land. When I went to work the next day, 
most of the laptops had the presentation open. Later that day, there was like 400 simultaneous viewers, and so it just kept growing and growing. I got emails from all around the company. I mean, people in every department saying, I totally agree. I see this affecting my kids. I see this affecting the people around me. We have to do something about this. I felt like I was sort of launching a revolution or something like that. Later, I found out Larry Page had been notified about this presentation in three separate meetings that day. And so it created this kind of cultural moment that Google needed to take seriously. And then, nothing. Hmm, 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 hmm. So he created this, this presentation showing how this doesn't seem right that, you know, very small amount of people are controlling what people think all over the world. And we have a moral response, a moral responsibility uh, to make sure, you know, we're, we're doing the right thing here. And he makes a presentation. People at Google are, are seeing this and agreeing and it's taking over our family's life. Even people who work for Google are saying that. Uh, then it goes to Larry Page, the CEO at the time. I'm sure he's still the CEO. Um, matter of fact, I don't, don't think he is. I think another guy is now. But um, it went to him, and all of a sudden, there was just nothing. There was no, there's no follow up. It's like, oh, that's a nice presentation. Let's move on with business as usual. And I'm not surprised by that at all. Of course not. There, there's so much profitability in these companies that you know that they're gonna they're they're gonna shirk that responsibility. They're not gonna self police themselves. So you may ask, well, how are these, this big tech internet, these companies different than like regular media that have been around for years, like the New York Times and LA Times newspapers and, and television, mainstream news and all that. Aren't they just, uh, don't they just control what you think and don't they control, you know, how you view it and so forth? Well, there's a little similarity there, but the, really, the 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 differences are are just huge. I mean, big tech internet is so much more powerful than regular media. M- regular media, mainstream media, doesn't know about you. That they may send you a newspaper through the mail or do a television program that you choose to watch on TV. Okay, but big tech internet knows almost everything about you. They they know from your browsing history and what you click like on the Internet and Facebook and so forth. They already know what content you like. And thus, they know they have a very good idea of what your worldview is. And, of course, when they know that, that, that information can be used to advertise to you for things that they think that you will like and potentially buy. That's one one big difference between... Uh, big tech in, in the mainstream media. Mainstream media is just kind of feeding you news stories that they think are, have general public interest. Big tech internet can get very specific and, and, and give information and advertising specifically to you. Now, it can go beyond that, too, because the information they know about you can also be used to silence you or persecute you or feed you feed personalized information to you because they know so much more about you than any mainstream media outlet, newspaper, television. So how, how do these big tech companies know so much and have so much influence? Well, it's, it's actually quite simple because the, the, the most powerful ideas in life are often pretty simple. If you think about Facebook, for example, instead of everyone on Facebook having their own individual website, you know, DavidWheaton.com, JohnSmith.com, and someone else.com, instead of individual websites, so people have to go from one website and type in a new website from one to another, 
what what Facebook has done is they've created one website with millions of little sub pages, little little websites within their website that's easily connected from one to another. So you see all your list of friends there. You can just click from one person to another and go to their page and see what they're doing. They made a very easy way to connect people with each other. And again, that can be used for for good purposes. But when you're on their platform, okay, and when you journal your life and post things on Facebook and post pictures, and most importantly, click that little like button when you read an article or see a picture or or read a post of a friend, what you're doing is letting Facebook know what you well, like. So Facebook keeps record of every single thing you do when you are on their platform. So they're they're getting this, they're using this artificial intelligence to to find out that you know David Wheaton, uh, you know, likes um, Christian radio. Uh, he likes uh, he likes Labrador retrievers. We have two labs. Uh, in, in the other places I've gone, if if I'm posting those things online. And, you know, how many children I have and where I went to school. And, you know, and then if I like certain articles that have a certain worldview to them, then they start to get a get a, a, an understanding of what I believe. And then once they know all that, then they know so much about me. And that, that's how they develop. They, they can they get all this information. So if you post content on on gardening or, or click like on an article on gardening on Facebook, Facebook now knows you like gardening. And then when a gardening company comes along and, and wants to advertise on Facebook to people who like gardening, well, Facebook knows exactly the people who like gardening. And so you're going to find an ad in your Facebook feed for something to do with gardening. It's, it's actually the perfect way to advertise. Instead of a shotgun approach to advertising where you shoot many little BBs out and try to hit as many people as you can, this is a much more efficient way to advertise because you're taking a single bullet and you're targeting at a person that you already know likes gardening, so they're much more likely to buy your product. You don't have to spend as much money in advertising. You can be specific and target it much more. And this is exactly what this docudrama, The Social Dilemma, said. Listen to this uh, next soundbite about advertising on Facebook. It's the gradual, slight, imperceptible change in your own behavior and perception that is the product. And that is the product. It's the only possible product. There's nothing else on the table that could plausibly be called the product. That's the only thing there is for them to make money from. Changing what you do, how you think, who you are. This is what every business has always dreamt of. To have a guarantee that if it places an ad, it will be successful. That's their business. They sell certainty. In order to be successful in that business, you have to have great predictions. Great predictions begin with one imperative. You need a lot of data. Many people call this surveillance capitalism. Capitalism profiting off of the infinite tracking of everywhere everyone goes by large technology companies whose business model is to make sure that advertisers are as successful as possible. This is a new kind of marketplace now. It's a marketplace that never existed before. And it's a marketplace that trades exclusively in human futures. Just like there are markets that trade in pork belly futures or oil futures. We now have markets that trade in human futures. 
That's exactly right. They know exactly so much about you that they can advertise directly to you, and that can turn incredible profit for advertisers. More coming up. David Wheaton here, host of The Christian Worldview. For over 15 years, our mission has been to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We pursue that mission on air through radio programs, in person hosting events, and online through audio, video, and print resources. We are an all-volunteer ministry, but have monthly operating expenses, the most significant being the cost of airtime on the station, website, or app on which you hear the radio program. We are looking for monthly partners so that each station or website is supported by its own listeners. The level of financial support for a given outlet is a key decision point whether we continue paying to broadcast there. To become a monthly partner of any amount, call us toll-free, 1-888-646-2233, or visit thechristianworldview.org. Thank you for listening to and supporting The Christian Worldview. There's an abundance of Christian resources available, but the reality is that many of them, even some of the most popular, do not lead to a sound and strong faith. While there's only one perfect book, a key aim of the Christian worldview is to identify and offer resources that are biblically faithful and deepen your walk with God. In our online store, we have a wide range of resources for all ages, adult and children's books and DVDs, Bibles and devotionals, unique gifts, and more. So browse our store at thechristianworldview.org and find enriching resources for yourself, family, friends, small group, or church. You can also order by calling toll-free 1-888-646-2233. That's 1-888-646-2233. Or visit thechristianworldview.org. Thank you for joining us today on the Christian Realview radio program. I'm David Wheaton, the host. Our topic today is, and probably next week, the way we're getting through some of these sound bites from The Social Dilemma, the docudrama, uh, our topic is the big tech internet, the dystopian ministry of information. And um, just by the way, before we get back to some of those sound bites, uh, we just mailed out our year-end letter. And so uh, you should be receiving that. It's a letter and our resource guide uh, here coming at the end of the year. We'd really greatly appreciate your consideration of supporting our our nonprofit listener-supported radio ministry, and you can find out how to do that in the year and letter. We're also going to email it out as well if you're not on the mailing list. And uh, it's also posted on our website as well, thechristianrealview.org. So you can go there and read the letter. You can see some of the featured resources here at the end of the year. If you are going to order products or resources, you need to do that fairly soon, though, because of shipping and media mail and different things that go on this time of year. So try to make some of those orders early so uh, you can get them in time for Christmas. Now, I want to play the rest of that soundbite from The Social Dilemma and how, how the whole point, and again, these are all former executives of these big tech companies talking about it, and how the beginning of that soundbite, the, the, the man said, the product is getting you to slightly change your behavior, just to, to nudge you enough to do something. That's what they're they're after. And so then that, that woman came on and she's a her name is Shoshana Zuboff. She's a professor 
at Harvard. And she's saying how this advertising, when it's, when it's applied to advertising, when they, they know everything about you and so they can advertise specifically to you how powerful that is. That, that's like the holy grail of advertising. Instead of having to send a mailer in 10,000 mailboxes and uh, 9,000 people aren't interested in it at all and you have to mail those 9,000, it's just a waste of money. What these big tech companies can do, especially like Facebook, since they know all this information about you, is that they can tell an advertiser, oh, you're selling a gardening product? Well, we already know which of our users, of our, with our whatever, 2 billion users, we already know which ones like gardening and which ones live in certain states and which ones you can tailor your advertising. We'll put it right to their newsfeed and no one else. So it's incredibly efficient advertising. So here's the rest of that soundbite by the Harvard professor, Shoshana Zuboff. This is a new kind of marketplace now. It's a marketplace that never existed before. And it's a marketplace that trades exclusively in human futures. Just like there are markets that trade in pork belly futures or oil futures. We now have markets that trade in human futures at scale. And those markets have produced the trillions of dollars that have made the internet companies the richest companies in the history of humanity. That's a very big statement. The richest companies in the history of humanity. Now, not only do they control the information, they have all the information, but they have so much of the money. And when you put information and money is power, you put those together. I mean, these are like almost like governmental organizations. They don't have militaries, but they're controlling the information. And that is incredibly powerful. And so through advertising is how they make their money. I told you how Facebook does it. Google does it in a similar way. Um, you know, when they advertisers pay Google to appear higher up on a search result. So when you search for, uh, let's say, again, using the example of gardening, uh, when you search for, you know, a, a seed spreader on Google, a company, some seed spreader company who's paid Google to have their ad appear higher, they know for, through human behavior, through artificial intelligence and algorithms, that people will not search down six pages on Google. You can only see what's in front of you. And they know most people will not go down six pages to find the one that they may want. The, the company that paid to have their ad appear on the first page of Google is likely to get the business. So Google can charge a lot of money for that kind of advertising for people who do, quote, Google searches. You know, Google it, right? It's become a verb. Uh, it's a name of a company, but it's become a verb uh, for a search engine. So Google knows all your search and browsing history, and they can respond also to the searches you do uh, with information tailored to you. So, you know, you think, well, how much am I in control of what I'm doing on the Internet? Well, you, you are able to, to choose uh, what you read and watch. But just know that these companies, Facebook, Google, YouTube, and so forth, they are also feeding you constantly what they want you to read and watch, what they know you will like to read and watch. And they're nudging you ever so slightly so that they can move society according to their vision, even to the point of who you're going to vote for. And we're going to get into that today, talking about how they influence elections. So whether it's Google, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, they have this model that's that this this data capturing model and how to monetize it with advertising and so forth that every other tech company 
uh, aspires to. So this is not going backwards. This is only going to become more and more efficient as artificial intelligence with their algorithms learns how to better use the information to better monetize it, to better influence people, and just going to become bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that's the next soundbite is that everything you do online is evaluated. Everything you do, don't think you can go online and go to a website or do anything online without it's not being recorded by a person, it's being recorded by machines with artificial intelligence that then know how to use this data to to market back to you and to influence you, to feed you things that's going to keep you connected. Here's the next soundbite from The Social Dilemma. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked, is being measured. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded exactly what image you stop and look at, for how long you look at it. Oh yeah, seriously, for how long you look at it. They know when people are lonely, they know when people are depressed, they know when people are looking at photos of your ex-romantic partners, they know what you're doing late at night, they know the entire thing. They have more information about us than has ever been imagined in human history. It is unprecedented. And so all of this data that we're, that we're just pouring out all the time is being fed into these systems that have almost no human supervision and that are making better and better and better and better predictions about what we're going to do and, and who we are. Okay. So these are all, again, these aren't just uh, you kind of rank and file employees at these companies. One, one of the, I think the first one who spoke there was Jeff Siebert, a former executive at at Twitter, they've, they've been in the leadership of these companies and they know exactly their experience firsthand what was taking place. So, again, the, the five points they, they bring out in the social dilemma that uh, it's exploitation of its users for financial gain through surveillance, capitalism and data mining. We've already already talked about that, you know, how they know everything about you. And so, therefore, they can market to you. Now, frankly, this in and of itself isn't wrong unless they're spying on you, which I'm sure takes place. And you're, you're, unless your consent isn't granted, you know, to go to a website and you can't track my information, but I don't even think you can turn that off. There's nothing necessarily wrong about Facebook capturing or recording what you like and what you post. You're, after all, you're on their site. And like I said, it's a perfect way to advertising, advertise, but it's, it's also good for the consumer too. Let's, 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 let's say that as well, because you can, you can buy just about everything, anything, um, based on you know what you're looking for, and they, they may market products to you that you actually really want or, or need. Uh, but just know, like that soundbite said, that everything you do online is being evaluated and then trying to be monetized. Okay, the second thing the, the documentary brings out is how the design of big tech internet is meant to nurture an addiction. This isn't unintentional, by, by the way. They try to connect you to their platforms, Facebook, uh, Twitter, these kind of platforms. To, they, they know human physiology and psychology. And so they, they try to connect you to the, the platform so you become addicted to it. And you see this all the time. People are addicted to their phones, the Internet, and so forth. And here's how one big tech in, uh, executive from – he's a former president of Pinterest. His name is Tim Kendall – Here's how he talked about that the addictiveness of these platforms and the way they notify you and the, the content they feed you, the, the, it not only entraps or addicts just the users of it, 
but even the guys who are designing it and running it. Listen to how he talks about his own life. Rewind a few years ago, I was the, uh, I was the president of Pinterest. I was coming home and I couldn't get off my phone once I got home, despite having two young kids who needed my love and attention. I was in the pantry, you know, typing away on an email or sometimes looking at Pinterest. This is classic irony. I am going to work during the day and building something that then I am falling prey to. And and I couldn't, I mean, in some of those moments, I couldn't help myself. It's interesting that knowing what was going on behind the curtain, I still wasn't able to control my usage. So that's a little scary. That's a former president of Pinterest saying that he literally couldn't control the addictive nature of how these platforms operate. And this has been widely discussed. You, know, you see people on there where just everyone's locked onto their cell phones now. And there's a reason for that. Uh, the, the, the desire to know information by us is a, is a big driving desire. Anytime you get notif- a notification comes into your phone or computer, what are you going to do, not look at it? Uh, they know this. And the more they can notify you and send you emails, and, and the, the more they can, they can keep your interest and keep you connected. And you think of all the addictions in the world, whether it's addictions to sex and pornography or to getting rich and and making money or to alcohol and drugs or the desire, the addiction to to be at the center of attention or for exercise or something. They talk about in this, this film, there's literally a physiological or psychological dopamine. It's like this chemical in your body that gets hit like a drug. When, you're, when you get triggered of something of interest that they feed you. So they keep feeding you content you're interested in, and they know from your browsing history what you're interested in. And the longer they can keep you engaged in online, the more they learn about you and the more you get addicted. We have much more coming up on Big Tech Internet and the dystopian ministry of information right after this. Who is George Soros, and what does he believe? Are you religious? No. Do you believe in God? No. Soros told the independent newspaper in Great Britain, it is a sort of disease when you consider yourself some kind of God, the creator of everything. But I feel comfortable about it now since I began to live it out. Soros spends his billions to transform America into godless socialism. Be informed about him and the organizations he funds by ordering this George Soros resource bundle, which includes a 60-minute DVD, 60-page book, and 16-page follow-the-money chart and guide for a donation of $50 or more to the Christian Worldview. To order, call one 646 or write to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331, or visit thechristianworldview.org. That's thechristianworldview.org. Be sure to take advantage of two free resources that will keep you informed and sharpen your worldview. The first is the Christian Worldview Weekly Email, which comes to your inbox each Friday. It contains a preview of the upcoming radio program, along with need-to-read articles, featured resources, special events, and audio of the previous program. The second is the Christian Worldview Annual Print Letter, which is delivered to your mailbox in November. It contains a year-end letter from host David Wheaton and a listing of our store items, including DVDs, books, children's materials, and more. You can sign up for the weekly email and annual print letter by visiting thechristianworldview.org or calling 1-888-646-2233. 
Your email and mailing address will never be shared, and you can unsubscribe at any time. Call 1-888-646-2233 or visit thechristianworldview.org. Okay, final segment of the day here on the Christian Realview radio program where we're talking about big tech internet, Google, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, others that have become this dystopian ministry of information. The ministry of information is what communist countries typically have. It's the ministry of propaganda is what it is, that they're so powerful, they have the biggest voice, and they influence how, how people think. And that's exactly what these big tech internet companies are doing as well. They have all the information on people. They can feed people the information or the, the products they want them to see that they know they'll be interested to, to, to make money uh, to become more powerful that way. But they can also use the information they have on people to, to influence people or to shut people down or to, to really control um, people's lives. And so we've talked about this social dilemma docudrama and uh, that they brought up five points in this particular film the first is the exploitation of users for financial gain through their marketing. It's, it's like perfect marketing. They know who's going to want a certain product. We talked about that. We talked about how the design of these platforms is meant to nurture an addiction. It's not just this is not just a oh we didn't mean it to do that. No, they they actually design it so that they can keep you connected for longer. They want to keep keep you on their platform for as long as possible for two reasons. Number one. They can, uh, and during that time, they can learn more about you and therefore advertise better to you, and they can find out more about you so they can influence you. So if you, let's say you're someone who believes there's election fraud in this past election, and we're going to get into that in a second, um, you know, you, you, you've noticed on, on Facebook that whenever someone, just anyone, posts an article about, oh, there's fraud in Georgia or Pennsylvania or Michigan and so forth, Facebook will put like a, a correction, a little note below it. See this article here for you know, truth, the truth on uh, the election process or so forth. They, in other words, they, 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 they have a, counter, a counterweight immediately to anything they don't believe is truth. They don't believe election, ele- there was any election fraud, and so therefore they counter it right away. Talk about power. So anyone who reads your page where you think there's election fraud immediately has to see what Facebook's perspective on, you know, excuse me, on election fraud is. So that's how they do it. And so now that's the next point is how do these big tech companies are, are involved in in politics? Well, they're they're hugely involved in politics. Everyone has a worldview uh, in life, and so do these big tech companies. And so what they did during this particular election and before this, this is nothing new. We're seeing this all over the news now, that these companies, Facebook, uh, Google, and so forth, they throttle down uh, conservative news and opinions, or they put warnings, or they cut your account, or these kinds of things. If If you put out information that, quote, they don't like, right? And so, and then they keep feeding their content with aligns with their worldview. And so anyone who's really not solid in what they they believe and know easily gets swayed by this. If you keep on getting, you know, you keep on telling a, a lie or a certain thing over and over again, people start to believe that it's actually the case. 
So like I mentioned, every time some, someone posts something on Facebook regarding the election, Facebook puts a warning about election truth out there. And the same thing with Twitter. Twitter was doing the same with President Trump's tweets. He'd tweet something and they'd say this has not been substantiated in, you know, by in, in quote, independent fact checkers. Yeah. Who's an independent fact checker? As if there's people out there who are who have no worldview or completely independent. That doesn't even exist. So you, you can you can see now. That, um, like, for instance, even in headlines, you you in headlines, you see, like, for instance, in the Minneapolis Star Tribune, I saw a recent headline that said in video, Trump recycles um, unsubstantiated voter fraud claims. That's a headline in the Minneapolis Star Tribune. It's online as well. In video, Trump recycles unsubstantiated voter fraud claims. So what the Star Tribune is telling you that. There's no such thing as voter fraud in this particular election. Okay, then the byline for the story is increasingly detached. This is the description of what the story is about. Increasingly detached from reality. Okay, there's an editorialization right there. President Donald Trump stood before a White House lectern and delivered a 46-minute diatribe against the election results that produced a win for Democrat Joe Biden. Um unspooling one misstatement after another to back his baseless claim that he really won. Okay, you you see how that's done there? In other words, in one sense, you have mainstream media, and this is on the Internet, of course, Minneapolis Star Tribune, they've now joined in, of course, with the Internet. They're not just print newspapers anymore, uh, saying that President Trump is recycling an unsubstantiated claim of voter fraud. There's no such thing. Uh, one misstatement after another, baseless claim. I mean, look at this is what Robert Knight was saying a lot other week on the, the program here that there's all this editorial. There's no, there's no even attempt in 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 big tech media now to be uh, just try to be nonpartisan in the way you just deliver the news. Let the people instead of having the the headline uh, in video, Trump makes uh, voter fraud claims. Okay. That that would be the accurate way of putting it, and then you, the reader, can decide whether those are true or not. No. Now they go to a different level. Trump recycles unsubstantiated voter fraud claims. Well, that's according to the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Now, if you go to another website online, let's say the Epoch, the Epoch Times or the Federalist, more conservative, Every single headline on that page is about, you know, vast voter voter fraud is found, uh, hundreds of affidavits of eyewitness testimony of uh, voter election fraud, uh, you know, Dominion voting machines are able to be reprogrammed. And so you just think, well, wait a second here. In one sense, uh, big tech Internet saying there's nothing to see here. There's no voter fraud. But some of these other smaller media outlets are saying, look at all these stories of voter fraud in this election. So you're thinking, well, well, who's who's telling the truth here? And this is exactly the point for how they can control in information and what people think. They know that they have a big voice. And so if they can counter everything that goes against what they believe or goes against their worldview, they can sway an election. I mean, when you do a search in Google... Google, Google controls which of the top results you get. They know that most people will not search past that first or second page. And so they, when you search for something on President Trump or conservatism, they don't necessarily need to have in their artificial intelligence those that type of information come up on the first page. They're in complete control of that. 
And that's exactly relevant for what took place in this last election. Now, look, I'm not an inv- in, uh, investigative journalist and so forth. I don't know the extent, but I see both sides. I see the mainstream media and these big tech companies saying there's nothing to see here in this election. And then you read more conservative outlets saying there's all kinds of things to see here. This is like a, a constitutional crisis where we may have someone elected who really wasn't the, 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 the will of the people. And so what do you do? That's how much power big tech internet has this dystopian ministry of information but we're going to have a whole nother part two on this because we're getting to next week how the implications of big tech internet is going to be used in the end times it's going to be a perfect tool for the antichrist christ someday and also for how christians to navigate this world we're all engaged in the internet so what do you do it's hard to disconnect because everything's on the internet nowadays so how do you navigate it. We'll talk about that next week on the Christian Worldview radio program. You know, we do live in a changing and challenging world of big tech internet, but there is one thing we can always trust in and count on. Jesus Christ and his word are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We hope today's broadcast turned your heart toward God, his word, and his son. To order a CD copy of today's program or sign up for our free weekly email, or to find out how you can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, go to our website, thechristianworldview.org, or call us toll-free at 1-888-646-2233. The Christian Worldview is a weekly one-hour radio program that is furnished by the Overcomer Foundation and is supported by listeners and sponsors. Request one of our current resources with your donation of any amount. Go to thechristianworldview.org. Or call us toll-free at 1-888-646-2233. Or write to us at Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. That's Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. Thanks for listening to The Christian Worldview. Until next time, think biblically and live accordingly.